Good morning. Welcome again to Boulevard Bible Chapel. It's a lot of buzz in the air today, isn't it? You can just feel the electricity. And uh, I pray that it's not just about some holiday season, but the Spirit of the Lord is amongst us. Um, I that this evening's Christmas program will be the culmination of last week's message and this week's message. Last week we talked about giving, right? And 2 Corinthians 8 says, We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, that we through His poverty might be made rich, right? And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Well, why did He have to give that gift? This morning we're talking about the authority of the church as seen in the New Testament pattern. And in general, we're going to be looking at some of the teachings of the Scriptures regarding church discipline because we're sinners. And that great verse that one of the children quoted this morning, uh, this is a trustworthy statement and deserving of all acceptance, right? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, just like me and just like you. And um, He had to come because God cannot in His holiness turn away and just pretend sin is not there. He had to deal with it. And I love that passage in Romans where it says, and we're going to open our reading this morning in Matthew 28 if you want to go ahead and start turning there, but Romans chapter 3, which says, speaking of Jesus Christ, whom He set forth as a propitiation by His blood. He satisfied the wrath of God by His blood, uh, which was applied to us by faith, to demonstrate God's righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God remains just. He doesn't just pretend sin is not there. He dealt with it in Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we no longer have to pay the penalty of our own sin because it can be nailed there to the cross with Jesus Christ. All the record of our wrongs that's on your record can be placed on Christ the moment you turn to Him. Because all of His righteousness will be transferred to your account. Beautiful. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? The coming of the Christ, the Savior, to do that very thing, to save us from our sin. Uh, so, back to this morning. Um, Matthew 28, I'm going to read the last three verses of that chapter. This is after Christ's resurrection. And He was meeting with His disciples and He said this to them. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we, we come here this morning at your invitation to draw near through a way that was made only possible through the sacrifice of your son. And so, without fear, we have come to meet with you, to worship you, to learn from you, and to be changed by you. We pray that this time spent in your word, not only in here, but the young people in Sunday school and many other local churches all over this 
city, all over this county, all over this state, all over this nation, throughout this world, that your Holy Spirit would draw men near and lift up the Lord Jesus Christ that might be drawn to Him. And souls would be saved and saints would be sanctified, become more like Christ, that He would be honored and glorified through it all. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. So for those of you who may be visiting, we've been going through a, a kind of a, a series taking a look at the New Testament church. There's a lot of discussion about how the, the local church should function in society today. There's a book that I've begun reading called uh, Pagan Christianity, uh, uh, which says, you know, look, a lot of the practices going on today have their roots not in the scriptures, but in pagan practices and we have bought into traditions that are not biblical not all of them would be anti-biblical or against what the bible teaches but there are many that are not found in the scripture so we want to take time out to come back and say okay if this truly is the word of god and it is authoritative, and it is the truth, and this is our foundation for life and practice, as the creeds like to say, then we want to take a look at what the Bible says. And uh, we've looked at a number of different topics. Today we want to take a look at the authority of the church. And I had to ask myself as I started, okay, um, and try to practice what the scriptures, as we see it, as it deals with discipline, dealing with sin. But I got to tell you, I've talked to people, gone to them, and they say, hey, listen, yeah, you may be an elder in that church. Matter of fact, they were part of this church. And you may be teaching and all these things, but you got no business messing with what I do in my personal life outside of the church. Well, who's right? Does the church have any business getting into your personal life? And I believe by the scriptures we will see today... Yes. Yes. Scripture number one that I appeal to comes right back to this verse right here. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he now gives some commands to his disciples. And he tells them, I want you to go, first of all, and make disciples of all the nations. Well, what does that mean? Not just go out and get a check mark of this person, pray to prayer with me. A disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. So there's some content that needs to be passed along, but there's some transformation of life. Jesus' call to disciples was what? Follow me. We believe in him and then we follow him. We learn of him. That was the call of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there's a taking on of a lifestyle of following Christ that is inherent in becoming a disciple, a believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I'm telling you that as you go into the world, you make disciples of all the nations and baptize them. First of all, he says, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're going to, uh, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, but we publicly 
identify ourselves with Christ through baptism. And that's what he was telling them. You go out and you bring them in. Have them identify themselves with Christ. Make it a, de- a public deal. If they're not truly born again, it's just gonna, they're just going to get wet. But they're seeking to outwardly, if they're a true believer, acknowledge what they've done inwardly. But then he goes on, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All authority has been given to, to Christ. He said, go, make disciples and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And we don't do this on our own. He says, listen, hello, I am with you always. There was a guy in my class in Bible school who used to say, oh, no go, no low. And oh, I, that's not conditional. He's commanding us to go. Yes, we must go, but... Whether we go or not, he says, I will be with you. And that's meant to be a comfort that as we go, we're not alone. But it's also hey, an exhortation. He's with us. He's watching. He knows. And we must submit ourselves to this authority. Well, question I asked, well, what authority, if any, does the church have? Oh, boy. Didn't know that I made that clickable to come up there, right? Well... <clears throat> To clear up this question, I had to ask myself, if, th- if one person said that already, before we've even talked about this topic, how many people may be even here today asking that question? Do we really have the right as a church, as the church of God, wherever you are, to be prying into people's personal business? Well, um, we need to clear up a few terms, right? There, there's some confusion in the English translation. There's several different words that are translated power. They mean completely different things if you go back to the original languages, all right? And... One of those we hear about all the time, dunamis, the power. That basically has the definition idea. And there's another one, exousia, which really is sometimes in the New Testament, especially the King James translated power. If you have the New King James translation, as I read this verse, that's probably what it said. All power has been given to me on earth. But the, the true, the, a better translation in our English would be all authority has been given to me. And so the words, and I, I don't mean to be too technical, but... This is helpful for dissecting this, right? Because the, the word that's translated power, the dunamis word, means the power, ability, might, strength. Jesus used the word, virtue has come out of me. When the woman touched the hem of his coat and she was healed, he said, who touched me? Because vir- power has come out of me. I, I, there was strength, might, power to do something. But then there's another word, right? The authority. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the power, not the strength. God doesn't give us the strength to become children of God. No, he gives us the authority, the right, the privilege of becoming the son of God. And so these words are hugely different. Now, if you're talking about God, okay, there's not much difference. God possesses the ultimate of both power and might and ability, but he's also absolutely sovereign, so he the authority to, authority to do anything. And so these words are, are, are complete synonyms with God. But what about with us, right? With mankind, there's a difference. A man may have power, but no authority. That's the bully on the block, right? He's the strongest guy around. He's got no authority over somebody else, but he's going to push him around. And there's other people we know. They've got authority. They've got a label. They've got an office, but they've got no power to do anything about what's going on. They've got no ability. Either no one's given them the, the, the uh, 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 
means by which to carry it out in the realm in which they have this so-called authority, but there's no. But then there's other cases where people have neither power nor authority, right? Um, and there's a lot of variations on what this can be when we're talking about power versus authority in the life of a person. Well, when we come back to the church, we come back to the scriptures. Uh, what authority and what power has God given us? And so I did some looking and I did some dissecting of these Greek words. All right, the one that's translated power, Romans 1.16 says what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that verse goes on a challenge to Timothy to say, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. God has given us great power as, as Christians. The power to, to, to be saved, to, uh, to, to now um, to live the, 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 the life serving him as a, as a witness, to have love and a sound mind and not to be afraid in our daily lives, to suffer with him. And, and, and ultimately, um, he says, uh, there are people in the world, though, who have a form of godliness but deny its power. There's power to the Christian in a godly life. And then, of course, Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power was all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so he's, he's equipped us for what we need to do with the ability, the power to do it in the church. Well, what about authority? All right. In Matthew 28, we already read this. That's the better translation of the word. All authority has been given. I'm not, I want to repeat myself for short on time. But Matthew 18. Now, here's another one that speaks of the power to the church. Jesus already spoke to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and said, You are Peter, a little stone, but on this rock, speaking to himself, a massive mountainous rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? Well, he goes on to tell him, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on, in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, I looked at that and it's singular. Whatever thou loosest. It's easier to see singular and plural in the English and the old King James and the new. But and you come to chapter 18 and he uses this, pa- and we're going to camp out in this passage in a few minutes. Matthew 18. He says, Surely I say to you, whatever you plural bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven there is an authority to the church that is binding on heaven and earth according to jesus and this passage speaks of church discipline we're going to come back to it but there's more first corinthians 5 another passage that speaks of this one says do you not judge those who are inside? Now, hold on a second here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Doesn't Jesus say, judge not, lest ye be judged? He does, right? But that same passage goes on to say, well, how can you say to your brother, oh, let me take the speck out of your eye when you got a two-by-four in your own? So, therefore, get the two-by-four out of your own eye, and you'll see clearly how to help your brother with the speck in his eye. And, so, yes, we are judge, but to judge others while we ourselves stand condemned. Paul says, but those who are inside the church, not those who are outside, not the world, those who belong to Christ, there is a judgment that he expects. Those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, he says, put away from yourselves that evil person. He tells them what the authority, matter of fact, the same chapter, Paul says, in dealing with this person who was known to be in sin, that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Deliver such a one to Satan 
for the destruction of his flesh. And actually it says in the power of uh, Jesus Christ, same time. <clears throat> but he's given us that authority in the church. Peter would say that judgment is to begin with the house of God, not with the world, with the house of God. Now Hebrews 13 is a challenge to uh, believers. It says, obey those, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. He's speaking to the church. He says, stir up one another to love and good deeds. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. These are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, obey those. There's, there's authority inherent in the church. And says, they are the ones who watch over your souls as those who must give account. Accountability is the real issue here. God hold the leadership of whatever local church accountable for how they have cared for the flock of God amongst whom God has placed them. And so he tells them, listen, let them do it with joy and not with grief, for that would not be profitable for you. If you're always pushing back and never teachable, it's not going to be good for you. I didn't like this verse so much. Oh, it wasn't this one. I think it's the next one. First uh, Peter 5 says, The elders, to them I exhort, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, and not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples. So there is a caution. It's not that he's given carte blanche, a blank check, do whatever you want to rule over people, and they have to obey you, although some people would take it that way. We quoted in Luke 22 where Jesus said the same thing. That's what the nations do, but not you. You serve, be an example. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. They hadn't been very obedient in practicing the things Paul had been telling him. So when your obedience is fulfilled, he says, you be ready to punish all disobedience. So is there authority in the church? Yes. Are we using it properly today? And I, I don't just mean us. I mean the church at large. No. So we need to consider what God is asking of us today. All right. The authority to judge those in the church is, I believe, clearly portrayed then in the scriptures. It, it is there. And what are we judging? Well, <clears throat> several things. Our lives, their holiness. When we get conflict with one with another, he come together to help one another, to judge these issues. First Corinthians 6 gets into that. They had issues they couldn't resolve. They were going to the courts. Well, what does the Lord say? The church is going to judge angels in the future. What are these petty issues you can't solve now? How are you going to be prepared to judge angels if you can't solve a few monetary issues amongst yourselves? You don't go to the courts. There is no court the church for a Christian. We have issues we can't solve on our own. There's a built-in process that God has made in order to judge the matters that concern concerning godliness and fellowship morality, sin, as well as doctrine. And uh, uh, many times Paul talked about those who had false doctrine, who were pushing it and teaching it, and he, 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 he disciplined them and put them out of fellowship from the church. So those are the kinds of things that he's asked us to judge. So, okay, we've answered that question. These are the main passages that speak of it. We're not going to get to them all. Um, if you want to do more study, I would encourage you to start here, and there's more, uh, Matthew. We're going to read those in just a moment. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 5 are some of the principal passages that give guidelines as a pattern for us in learning how to walk in this authority 
that God has given to the church. And then 1 Corinthians 6 talks about going beyond uh, judging sin and matters of, of, of uh, disagreement between believers. And then Galatians 6 is another one talking about if you find someone who's overcome in a trespass, how to go to him to see them restored. And 2 Corinthians 2 and 7 is kind of the follow-up to 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 where, where the church performed this function of dealing with the sin and now how do we go about correction and restoration and uh, way more than we can cover in totality. But I find that uh, the pattern <clears throat> as it's put for us in the scripture, if we can just get a grip of that, we will prevent much of the tragedies that take place in the church. Matthew 18, can we read that together? Jesus is speaking. His disciples were with him, and he says to them, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear... Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's that authority. So let's take a look at this process now. <clears throat> Uh, if you're if you're being observant, you'll notice it's not up here yet, but it's not found in this passage. We're starting with what is considered corrective discipline. Something has already happened between two people. There is a problem already going on between two people, and how do we deal with it? Well, here's the corrective portrayed for us in Matthew 18. I would just present to you in advance that if we deal with part one and focus on this end of the spectrum, we wouldn't have so much problem with the rest of the spectrum. The, this would be preventive discipline. And it's largely self-discipline. But we need to come back to that. We're starting at a pattern that the scriptures give us, so we want to start with the problem between two people. They're to go one-on-one. -on -one. Now, this is, here we are, the first verse in the teaching, and I find this is where we fumble the most. What does he say? If your brother sins against you, go and tell five other people so they can agree with you. No, go tell three other people so they can pray for you. No. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Alone. Notice the cone here, right? The, the whole idea of, of, of dealing with this sin is that we want to keep the amount of information and the amount of people who have to be involved and even know about it as small as possible. So let's say there was a conversation between two people. That's all that needs to know about it. Go one-on-one -on -one and talk to them. But if he hears you, you your brother. It's over. Done. Nobody else even knows. That's what we want. We want to regain this relationship with our brother and sister in Christ, right? Something is marring it. There's friction here. There's something unsettled. And so we go to them. 
If we would do that alone, I bet 75% of the issues ever become issues. And you know what else? We wouldn't see it as such a huge thing when someone comes to talk to us. Why? Because what we're communicating is, listen, I want this relationship with you to continue in a healthy way. So, so let's deal with it. Let's get it beyond so we can continue together. But if we leave it and neglect it and forget about it and spread it around to lots of people, it becomes a big deal because we've made it a big deal. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, and that doesn't mean you talk to him once, right? I, I mean, sometimes people are still hurt and wounded and they're, they're not able to receive what you're saying to them. And sometimes we need to go back and practice Matthew chapter 7 and say, well, is there a beam in my eye? Is there something in the way that I'm approaching this person that is the problem? Maybe I'm reacting to what they've done to me and I just want to see them pay for what they've done. I want to see them, I want to hear them say I'm sorry to me. Well, my concern is me. How can I help them with a splinter in their eye when I got this beam in my own? But when I go back and say, Lord, okay, what's going on in my heart? And why is this bothering me so much? And, and maybe that I did something that ticked them off that made them do what they've done that's caused the whole thing to begin with. And if I deal with my own self, I go, well, you know, I guess I kind of asked for that. And I can forgive him without even talking to him. Then, man, i got to watch myself. Self-discipline. But if that does not work, if, if after multiple attempts and prayer and searching your own heart and, and trying to go to the brother alone, one-on-one, it doesn't work, it says, look, then if he will not hear, take one or two more with you. Recruit some help. Not for the purpose of ganging up on the person. What? These people are coming to just help give a third-party, biased perspective. Of course, if you're really wanting help, you're going to want someone who's spiritual who you know has your best interest at heart, has their best interest at heart. So that hopefully it says, if he hears, hey, what? Relationship, it's done. People know. Besides the Lord. But if they refuse even to listen to them, now it says, go on to the next stage. All this that happens here, I would call informal discipline. There's no formal structure to it. It happens little here, little there, one-on-one. There's no program for it. Prayer, love, love covers a multitude of sins. Someone asked the question, well, do we have to go over everything? No, love covers a multitude of sins. If, If I am able to forgive someone for an offense against me without ever talking to them, praise the Lord. But you know what? If, if, if it's not really settled and there's still that friction, Or maybe it is even settled in my mind. But the Lord says to you, they've still got that splinter. It's harming them. It's harming their family. You need to go talk to them. Now that takes on a whole new dimension. I'm trying to go help my brother for their sake. Not because they did that to me. All different. But when this informal system has not produced the reconciliation... He says, now we go to a more formal dealing with that sin and that situation. And there's two parts to telling the church. Number one, the leadership get involved. They take the lead in dealing with these things. And if their attempts are not successful, then the, 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 the realm of knowledge
knowledge now passes to the whole entire assembly. And if there's if there's no ability to 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 even solve it there now, as he says, if they don't even listen to the church, they need to be put outside the church. That big thick line there is see because all this is dealing with inside the church. This over here goes to the world, and um, that's a last case scenario. Unfortunately, none of this stuff gets practiced at large in in the body of Christ at large. So 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 when people talk about church discipline, we're not thinking about self-discipline. We're not thinking about one-on-one conflict resolution. We're not thinking about... They just think excommunication, putting someone out of the church, and that's all. But that's, that's the last stages that should be happening. Our focus really should be up here. And we won't have to worry so much about this on the back half. Well, that's Matthew 18. Now, 1 Corinthians 5, that's what it deals with, right? It's dealing with this formal stage of discipline. The whole church knew about it. There was no between you and them alone. There's no two or three people. It was commonly known even outside the church what was going on in Corinth at this time. And so what does he say? He doesn't say just have a private prayer meeting. No. When First uh, Corinthians 5, he says in verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. See, the church knew about it. They weren't doing anything. It was not successful. He says, you need to, get, you need to move on to that last stage. Because it's not, it's not, not only is it not helping, but look, he says, verse 7 and 8, you've you got to purge out that old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For even, indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, which is leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says it's going to spread. So just like leaven and the yeast in the bread dough, it's going to spread through the whole thing. To not deal with sin, it spreads. It grows. It either spreads to others or it grows within us. Bitterness sets in. And now we can't even look at the person or hear anything about them and our hearts are just acidic. We all know what that's like, right? But he says, purge it out. Deal with it. So that's what this passage is, is telling us. And, and it, <clears throat> again, it's, it's, he, he lists some types of sins that qualify for this, right? He, he says, um, verse 11, uh, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. This is someone who's claiming to be a, a Christian who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler. They're slandering other people's character publicly. A drunkard. An extortioner. Don't even eat with these people. Separate yourselves from them, right? Put away, verse 13, from yourselves, the evil person. They cannot stay safely inside. And there's a reason for that, right? Not only because other people are watching and they may fall into the same thing. Although that's very important, right? But you see, for the work of God to have its result in their hearts, they need to be able to feel the consequences of their disobedience. But there is a protection of being a part of the body of Christ. That's why we need to be here, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he was speaking of a believer who was married to an unbeliever, he said that the unbelieving wife was sanctified by the husband. There's somehow a, a, a spiritually uh, helpful, beneficial, beneficial uh, uh, experience by being in fellowship with a believer. 
to the point where, look what Satan accused God. You've got a hedge of protection around him. I can't even touch it. Praise God. <laughs> if you're walking with Christ, there is a, 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 a hedge of protection. And at times, we, through our disobedience, cut holes in that hedge and Satan has access to us. He, he comes through the wall and he builds his own little fortress and stronghold there and he takes up residence and he's going to use it against us every opportunity. We don't want to give him those opportunities. But see, when we coddle someone who is actively sinning and in rebellion against the word of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, we allow them to be safe from the consequences. And so if they won't respond to the chastening of the Lord Jesus, he says, put him out from among you. Turn him over to where sin has full access. You'll feel the consequences. I get chills to think about it. But that's what he tells us to do. And that's hard. I remember before I joined the brethren here in the eldership, hearing of certain things that happened, and oh, how easy it was to say, well, why don't they just... Seems clear to me. I remember meeting my first situation exactly like it. And my mind went back and said, oh yeah, why don't he just... Oh. When you're looking at someone as a person, as a brother and sister in Christ, and my words and my actions combined with their actions have direct consequences in their lives, and you're stepping in to be a part of that. It's not so easy and cut and dry to carry out. It's hard. Very hard. I praise God for that. Lo, I will be with you always. Even to the end of the age. This is hard. Contrast that now with Galatians 6. Just a few pages to your right here. Here we have, going back to the informal discipline stages, where maybe only you and someone else knows about it. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is taken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Remember, looking for what might be in my own eye before I just focus so much on their splinter. And bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in him alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. We all have responsibilities that we must carry. I can't carry yours. The Bible doesn't, tells me I shouldn't carry your load, your responsibilities, that only you can do that. But when someone has a burden that has so weighed them down that they are stumbling and in sin. You who are spiritual, bear one another's burdens. Go to them to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That's here, right? The pattern from Matthew 18, coupled in different words. Go to them one-on-one. -on -one. If that's not working, they don't see it. They don't care. They're in rebellion against the word of God. Take, take one or two more. That's all this passage goes into, but you know the pattern. The pattern's there. If they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. If they refuse to <clears throat> But that's what the pastor's talking about. You notice the pattern is the same. The pattern is the same. How do we do all that? If we, again, I believe if we would focus on the preventative discipline. Galatians 5. 
23, listing the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit says, Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. You remember in 1 Corinthians 11, upper, Paul would say to them, If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Let a man examine himself, and then so let him eat. Not judge yourself and find yourself so guilty that you don't even come to the meeting, that you won't participate in worshiping the Lord, that you won't function in the body anymore. No, he says, examine yourself, deal with it, and then come worship the Lord. Come remember the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we would not be condemned with the world. He's chastening us. He's disciplining us as sons that we might become partakers of his divine and holy nature. That's the whole purpose. I forgot to put it up there. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the chastening of the Lord and how we're to respond to it. He says, nobody enjoys the process when they're going through it. But after it's all done, if we've been allowed ourselves to be trained by it, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what we want. But we got that mountain between here and there that we got to cross over. And it's uphill sometimes. But what's on the other side is what we want to get to. I'm sure people don't climb Mount Everest because they like frostbite and they just want to torture themselves, right? No, they want to reach the pinnacle, right? They want the goal. And, and, and the goal needs to be worth please the Lord, that we might have true holiness and fellowship with him and with one another in our daily lives. But it takes this process. Matthew chapter 7, we've already referred to it. He says, judge not lest you be judged, but watch yourself. See, here is watching yourself you see what someone else is doing you want to go talk to him but he says before you go hey wait a minute check for the two by four come back and start with step one evaluate yourself self-discipline self-control it's the fruit of the spirit god wants to give us self-control god has not given us a spirit of fear but power and love and a sound mind he wants us to be able to engage and not run away from these things but to have the power of God alive in our lives, working with his love to renew our minds, to help us to see how to judge. I forgot to mention these things. You know, the, the, the passage here in 1 Corinthians 5 said to judge. It means to discern, to investigate, to evaluate and weigh the various issues in the balance and to, to, to seek to draw a conclusion. The interesting thing is when you look at that word, um, Paul defends himself in 1 Corinthians 4. They were making accusations against him. And he said, listen, I'm a sinner like you, but we are stewards. We've been given this stewardship, this, this position of management of a ministry that the God has called us to. And it is required in stewards, what? That they be found faithful. And they were challenging and judging him. And he said, this is 1 Corinthians 4.3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, he's not saying he's not doing the self-discipline evaluating. Look, he says, uh, I know of nothing against myself. Well, it's because he's checked. He's looked for the two-by-four. He says, I don't know of anything, and yet I am not just He says, just because I don't see it doesn't mean that that's true. Maybe I have done something wrong. Maybe I haven't managed this ministry in my life the way I should. I can't see it. I've looked for it. And so, um, hey, listen, I, it's no big deal to me that you have evaluated me. I've tried evaluating myself. Now, I don't see that I've done anything wrong. But he says, yet by this, I, I'm, 
I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So even when we don't see anything in ourselves, it doesn't mean it's not there, but it doesn't mean we stop looking. We ask the Lord to reveal it in his time and in his way, and when he does, be ready to respond to it. But the final judgment, and this is why I brought it up, right? There's a sense when he says not to judge, what he's driving at is don't draw your final conclusion, especially in the areas of of evaluating someone else's motives. You can't see their heart. We judge outward appearances, the Bible says, right? God looks at the heart. We should the question to exhort, to challenge, to provoke one another to love and good deeds and say, hey, you know, what did you mean by what you said there? It sounded to me like maybe you were blah, 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 blah. But if they say, no, 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 that's not what was in my heart. We have no right to say, yes, it was. We can't see that. We cannot draw those final conclusions for things in the heart. But the Lord knows. And he's judging. And he will continue to judge. And his chastening is for our good. Sometimes we blow it. We do it wrong as parents. We do it wrong in this in the church. We do it wrong all over sometimes. But the Lord, he disciplines, he chastens for our good 100% of the time. And he can even take the, the, the things we've messed up and cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a blessed promise? Especially in the light of this area where we're talking about sin. Because you know what? Satan is just looking for an opportunity to just jump all over this stuff and blow it up, blow it up in our faces. But if we can... Here's the, here's the overall picture. Put these passages together. Let's start here. Let's concentrate on being in God's Word and evaluating our own hearts and being ready to receive when someone comes to us in this realm and saying, Brother, I, I, I have a concern about something I, I've heard you say or something that you did. Are we going to put up our boxing gloves and, and have a spiritual battle or say, well, wait, well, I don't know of anything in myself, but that doesn't mean I'm by that justified. The Lord will judge. Let me have a teachable spirit. That's what he wants to see. And then we will respond to this. It won't have to go to that. But if it needs to, God calls us, commands us, and gives a binding authority and a command to do it. May God help us. And you know, maybe you're a person here today, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here many times, but you don't know the Lord is your Savior. Can I just tell you, you must be having a hard time entering into this. This is a process that the Lord has reserved for his children. You know, we have children into our home. And um, when they come, we try to let them know the house rules, okay? You know, we don't go jumping in the beds. We don't play behind closed doors. We don't swear. We don't talk back to the adults. We obey. We listen. These are the things we're going to do while you're here in our house. Now, if my child disobeys, I'm treating them different than I do the neighbor's kid because they're mine. They, I have the God-given authority and responsibility and God will hold me accountable for teaching and training them to obey God and to obey the ones that God has placed over them in authority. And so I will discipline them. I will correct them. I will seek to teach, to exhort exhort but my full i have limitations on how i can deal with someone not my child 
But if I were to adopt them into my family, that would be different, wouldn't it? Now they would be a part of the family, and they would fall under these rules and privileges and responsibilities. And, you know, if you're still outside the church, you're outside the relationship with God, you're not born again into his family, you have not been given the authority, the right, the privilege to become a child of God. All this stuff is like shining the brass on the Titanic while it's sinking, right? You can make it look prettier. We can clean up some of the stuff on the outside, but the real problem is in the heart. You're separated from God because of your sin. And you need to come to Jesus as your Savior who died for you. And when you put your trust in Him and you ask Him to forgive you and to give you this eternal life and and, and cause you to be born again into His family, now this will make sense to you. Because God says He wants to conform us and and bring us up until we conform, we, we, we become like Jesus to His character. And I know i got a long way to go. And so I need you, brethren, to help me in this hopefully informal process. And we need each other. There was a brother who was once in fellowship here who, uh, after being here for a number of years, he really began to grow in the Lord, and, and you could see the fruit in his life. And I remember one time commenting on the difference, and he said, well, if you could see the difference before, why didn't you say something? If you could see there was something lacking in my life, why didn't you tell me? Maybe it wouldn't have taken me another three years. What can I say? I failed my brother. May God help us. we got a tall challenge, but by his grace, he'll be with us always. Father, I thank you for the patience of these saints today gathered together to hear from your word. I know that I've gone over our usual closing time. But Lord, I just feel that, that this particular area in the church of God today, we need help. We no longer see the patterns of, of, of good conflict resolution according to the word of God almost across the board. Society has left your word. Even those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, we struggle with these issues. But Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be better disciples, learning to observe all things that you have commanded. And we thank you for that promise that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. We thank you and ask that you would help us to put these things into practice as we seek to draw near to you and become more like you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.